Welcome, uh, church. Uh, kiddos, you're staying in with us today, so glad to have you. Uh, all of our guests that have come, uh, an invitation to uh, from friends and family, uh, whether you're come to support us or you're just kind of checking us out. We want to say welcome. This is a uh, this is a big day for us. I really never thought we would build any building or remodel any building. I saw the vision clearly to plant a church. I saw the vision clearly to be a church planting church. I thought I saw the vision clearly to disciple men who disciple men who lead their families well. Um, saw a vision clearly to preach the word, to make much of God's word. But never necessarily to like build a building. But when we planted this church, I was in my early 30s. And I just don't have what I used to have. I was setting up and tearing down every week. And even as Jason talked about, God specifically began to move our heart towards what this next step is. And as you know, um, it's, been, it's been wild. Um, we bought some land and paid a lot of money to have some architect draw some plans and got everything approved. And then interest rates went sky high and we couldn't afford it. And, you know, I'm like, Lord, we didn't do all this and get this land just so Kyle Cathcart could cut it. There's got to be something else. What, what do you got? What do you got for us? What's next? And then um, I don't remember even remember how it happened, but I think Layton called me and was like, hey, have you checked out that, you know, that building? I was like, I thought somebody else was moving. He said that fell through. So we began talking to the owner of this building, Dan, and God just gave us really great favor with him. And uh, he has just been so kind to us and um, letting us be in here, not charging rent until the space is finished being remodeled. That's pretty amazing. He's paying for all the parking lot out there. You're not going to have to walk through the mud every time. Um, so just so many incredible things. And I am just overwhelmed of God's faithfulness. And I'll remind you that when God promises you something, he comes through. And sometimes it's a long journey, as my buddy J.D. says all the time. Sometimes there's delays and difficulties and dead ends. But God always brings deliverance. And um, the plan now is to remodel this facility, to facilitate the mission God's called us to, to be a spirit-led family on mission-making disciples. I love the song we just sing, Let Hope Arise. I love... The picture of this place that used to be a, you know, Louisiana hayride, a honky-tonk. We prayed this morning in what used to be the bar. We're worshiping in what used to be a restaurant. Our kids are hearing about the love of Jesus into where they used to boot scoot and boogie or whatever they did over there. I don't know. I don't, I've never been to honky-tonk. I don't know what you do there. I just, I just imagine line dancing and anyway, I'm not going to. I don't do that, so uh, some of you do. You're good at it. Um, just this picture of a gospel outpost, I love that. This, what used to be entertainment or whatever it was, is now a gospel outpost. And from it, we will send you all to your neighborhoods to be little gospel outposts. Gospel outposts in which hope arises. And uh, we've been praying for this little neighborhood right behind us, Hay Meadow. And I pray God radically changes the lives of some people back there. Because 
you showed up and you gave and you served. Jason mentioned it took a lot of people to pull this off. I just, and it did. There was a hundred people here yesterday. I mean, you couldn't take a step without someone wiping your footprint up behind you. It was amazing. But I do want to just say thanks to Chaz Bennett. Chaz is in here somewhere. Y'all give Chaz. He would never want me to say anything, but most of this fell on him, and he has done an incredible job of organizing all that things. Thanks, buddy. Um, I want to introduce you to the building a little bit, just a few pictures. Um, we're going to do more of this later, and you're going to get more pictures and, and all the things, but this is kind of just a 3D model of what it's going to look like. That's the mush over there you parked in earlier. That'll be a big parking lot. Uh, go to the next slide. That's the front entry with the pergola and a couple doors coming in. Then I think we got another. That's the Covenant Kids entry over there that some of you came in. Um, and then another. This is kind of the blueprint of um, of where we're of of where we're at. You kind of see the uh, <clears throat> entrance is over here. This is where it is. The yellow is uh, what does that even say? I don't even know what that says. Uh, that's the, oh, that's, that's the future um, where we're going to build out. We're doing this in phases. All that thing behind that wall, we hope one day will be an auxiliary room, a youth space, some offices, some, a counseling center maybe. That'll be phase two that we'll tackle whenever God provides the funds to do it. Uh, so you kind of see that's an up close of the kid's space. Uh, what's going to happen there? I think you got one more picture maybe back there. Yeah, that's just a, a drawing from the outside. And then a couple of pictures you can kind of vision. Uh, uh, Begin to vision, uh, envision the uh, kid space, that's toddler room, um, kind of, you know, the ceilings will be open all the way up back there. They'll be cool. I think that's good on a picture. You, you kind of get a picture of kind of where we're headed. And um, some people can look at a blueprint and be like, oh, that's what they're doing. And some people look at those like, nope, not until I walk in it finished can I be like, oh, that's what they did. Um, so we're just going to trust. It's going to be good if you're one of those people, you know. I want to turn to uh, the story of Nehemiah. Jason introduced already, incredible story, incredible man. Nehemiah was chronologically one of the last books of the Old Testament, uh, the same Pezra, uh, period of Ezra and Esther, and uh, God uh, placed a burden on his heart. And this is what we see uh, in Nehemiah, so much in this book. We, we've, we, at the beginning of the church, we preached through it in about 25 sermons, uh, took him 50 days to, uh, to build the wall, took us half a year to get through the, the preaching through it. So we're not going to do that today, of course. We're not going to do that uh, even continue. But I want to give you a picture of this, and we'll return to this too, uh, hopefully in 12 weeks when we do a uh, grand opening here. And um, we'll continue in kind of looking at this story. But I want to, as our text for today, look at chapter 6 and verse 15. This is when the wall's finished. <clears throat> So the wall was finished on the 25th day in the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it and all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. This is the phrase, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. What a word. What gets us to this place, if we could rewind a little bit, and Jason touched on, Nehemiah is the final effort in kind of restoring the nation of, uh, of Israel after it had been uh, sacked and destroyed. Zerubbabel came first, and he repaired the temple, and then Ezra came and brought back the worship and sacrifices. And finally, Nehemiah 
is going to come so that all the Israelites that have moved out into uh, the hill country can move back into uh, the city. And he's going to finish off a process which allows and implements a return to the culture of being God's people together, to being a light to the nations. That same return culture after the intertestamental period would be the same culture Jesus would be born in, which the church would be launched, which we even find our stories back because this guy, Nehemiah, was faithful to go and repair something that had been broken, which is pretty incredible. And if I had to title the sermon, I would title it Living Lives of Consequence because that's what Nehemiah did. He decided that he wouldn't stay in his good cush six-figure job serving the king uh, in this place of esteem, but that he would take a big and bold risk to follow God's burden that had placed on his heart. So three things I think that are built upon each other we see in this text that help us to live a life of consequence. First, this unique burden. This is the verse in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4 that Jason read. When I heard these things, his friends had come from Jerusalem to visit him. And he asked about, well, how's things in the city? And they said, it's terrible. Uh, we're afraid for our lives. We can't really trade. Everyone's dispersed. We can't worship properly. Now, this is not news. These walls had been destroyed for over 100 years. Nehemiah knew this. But this day, he listened to the Holy Spirit's prompting. And God gave him a burden. The walls have been torn down for 150 years. No burden to Nehemiah all his life, kind of out of sight, out of mind. Until verse 4, Nehemiah gets this incredible burden for the city. It says here that he didn't just shed a couple tears like you do to a Hallmark movie, how sweet it is. No, this is, he was mourning and fasting and he prayed before the God of heaven for days, even months, three months, this burden just kind of sat in his throat and sat on his heart, and he didn't know what to do but keep bringing it back to the Lord. See, the problem was way, way too big for Nehemiah to address it. And yet, in this moment, he listened for the voice of God, and he responded to that voice, this burden that had placed upon his heart. I don't believe Nehemiah got any new information that day, but I do believe he received the same information he had always known, but God gave him a new lens in which to see it. It came with a new perspective. I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, opened Nehemiah's heart to have the heart of Jesus. Jesus, looking over Jerusalem one time, said he was filled with compassion. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And in this moment, Nehemiah got the heart of Jesus. Let me explain why this is important to us. Because we live in a city that is spiritually bankrupt and destroyed and confused. Just like the city of Jerusalem in that day. But you and I, if we're Christians, we have this inclination to not be troubled by all the sin around us. Because it's all we've ever known. We get used to it. So to us, it seems normal. People claiming to be Christians but living with no real life change. Others openly defiant against God. And it doesn't break us and it doesn't bother us. When's the last time you were moved with a burden to tears for your lost neighbors around you? 
for our city, for our nation, for the very ends of the earth, people who've yet to even hear the gospel. It's not that they heard and chose not to respond. They've never even heard it. This is Nehemiah. He's burdened and he's praying. When you take it to God in prayer, he gives you his heart. You see, prayer is way more about changing you than changing the situation. And this is where he rests for months and months and months as he's praying, sitting in it, asking the Lord, waiting on the Lord. This is another key to the burden is to take that burden that God gave you back to the Lord and wait until the time is right. Nehemiah takes it to the Lord. He waits, he mourns, he fasts. It says for days, then from Kislev to Nisan, it said he's just sitting in it. That's four months waiting on God's timing. I'm sure it might be helpful to all of us friends to wait on the Lord. Because in your striving, you're not going to accomplish anything. Can I just confess something to you? I do a lot of striving. I want God to move faster and quicker. And God doesn't necessarily care that I get to the place to where he sent me. What he cares about is that I change. He's changing me. And he can do more in one instant than I could do in a thousand years of striving. This is a theme of all scripture, to wait on the Lord. And we ask these questions, God, why do you wait? Why do you delay when you could act? Why do you allow things when you could step in? I think two real benefits to us waiting with the burden is when we wait, it reminds us that we aren't God. That we're not God. If every time we had a burden and we began to act and it fixed immediately, we would begin to think that we're the ones that actually did it. But waiting reminds us that we're not in charge, that we're not God. And secondly, it redirects our worship, redirects it from our strength and strategy to God's power, God's favor, and God's provision. Amen, church? The second thing, the unique burden, and I'll tell you, listen, God's given each of you, if you'll listen to him, he'll give you a unique burden that's very unique to you, your place, and your family, and your friends, It'll be unique to you. Some of you will be passionate about serving uh, the, the, the veterans, and some of you will be passionate about single moms, and some of you will be uh, passionate about reaching kids and reaching teenagers, and some of you will be passionate about the homeless and those that are caught uh, stuck in cycles of poverty, and some of you will be passionate about helping people live right with their finances so they can be more generous with their funds so that they can extend the kingdom of God. And so, Some of you, it, God gives us a unique burden. God gave me a very unique burden to start new churches. Before that, it gave me a very unique burden for teenagers. It's so weird. I remember getting the first invitation to work at a church, and that was not my plan. I was going to go make a lot of money. Some of you know my story. I was selling fake watches out of the back of the Ford Taurus, and I was killing it, man. With that money, I bought a couple of lawnmowers and started a business. I still kept selling the stuff out of the back. I, you know, I had pins. Uh, I had uh, Dunenberg purses. I mean, what did you want? I had it. I could sell it out of the back of the car. And then they knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, uh, I wasn't a con man. I was, they knew it was fake. I was like, you know, do, do, do you want, uh, you know, this for 50 bucks? You want to go pay 5,000 for it? You can have the same look for 50 and it will turn green and all those things. But anyway. 
I remember getting the offer to uh, go to Airline uh, Baptist as the youth interim, and a friend called me and offered me the job. And to be real honest with you, I didn't like teenagers. Um, <clears throat> you know, I had taught teenage Sunday school a couple times, and the boys farted the whole time, and it was just a thing. It was a thing. And I was like, this is no way. This is only, Jesus couldn't reach these boys. They're just... And then I got the offer, and I'm talking to my dad, and dad's like, well, do you want to go and work at Starbucks, or do you want to go and get some ministry experience? I wanted to be an evangelist. I wanted to go preach the word of God. And uh, I was like, well, that sounds a little better. Airline, let's see what it could do. No kidding. I told you about this last week in my message. It wasn't just a month of serving with those teenagers that God broke my heart for teenagers. And Ashley and I, just the most... I speak for myself. I was the most naive person in the world, and uh, God gave us just some really hard teenagers so far from God, from really broken homes, and God moved mightily. But if you'll listen to the voice of the Spirit, he'll share his unique burden with you. And I believe some of you have heard it and you've ignored it. This is the next thing that happens here in Nehemiah's story. It's not just a unique burden, but Nehemiah takes the bold risk. It costs Nehemiah a lot to respond to that burden. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, I had told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. See, what God does in you, he wants to do through you. The burden he births in your heart he wants you now to carry that heart of Jesus. He wants you now to be so concerned, to be an advocate for those who don't have an advocate. He wants you to be that person. He's done for you. He's, he's, he's taken you from uh, slavery to sin and given you freedom, and now he wants you to extend that freedom. He's, he's lavished grace upon you. Now he wants you to extend that grace to others. You see how this is, this is working? And so we get this burden, and then we have to make a decision. Are we going to respond in obedience to what God's put in our heart? He took this bold risk, this incredible step of faith. He heard from God, and he risked obeying him. His risk was pretty dangerous. He was going to go ask the king for all the resources to complete the task that the Lord had put in his heart to go complete. Now, he had this special relationship with the king, but the king made it very clear. He did not like Jerusalem. He did not like the Jews, the Israelites. He, he didn't like them. And so there was this, he didn't even know how he was going to do it. He was like, Lord, you got to give me an open door to do it. And so he just looks sad one day. He's macabre. He's like trying to figure out what's going on. And the king's like, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? Oh, glad you asked, king. And he just threw up his whole plan of everything that it would take to get this walls rebuilt. Made this real risk. Asked big things of God and he asked big things of the king. And he just took this incredible step of faith. I love this because... Nehemiah is just a layman. He's not a clergy. He's not a priest. He's just doing his job. He's good at it. And there's no verbal command to Nehemiah. There wasn't any writing on the wall. Some of you say, well, Lord, I'll do that when you write it on the wall. You're going to miss it. Sometimes he doesn't write it on the wall. Sometimes he doesn't send the dove from heaven to bring it down to you. Sometimes you don't see the fiery bush. As a matter of fact, all of those examples only happen once as you look through Scripture. He didn't do that many times. He'll speak to your spirit. You'll feel it in your heart. You'll feel it in your throat. You'll feel the whispers of God as you read through Scripture. And then Nehemiah took this bold risk. 
Friends, if you follow God, it will require a radical reorientation of your priorities. Radical. As a matter of fact, God will rarely do for you what he wants to do through you. God will rarely do for you what he wants to do through you. This is what I mean. We get calls all the time at the church. Hey, pastor, will you come and share the gospel with my neighbor? And I'll do it. I'll be glad to do it. But God wants you to do it. He sent you there. That's your neighbor. He sent you to that workplace. Those are your coworkers. He put you on that team for that very purpose. Wouldn't it be amazing if Nehemiah could have prayed, Lord, this is your city. Why don't you just overnight, the walls are up. We think the aliens did it, and, and it's amazing. Or you just verbally show up in the sky floating over Jerusalem and just whip your hands around and a la kazoo, whatever, the walls are now put back together and everyone will praise you because this is what you did. He didn't do that because God most often, almost a thousand percent of the time, works through people who say yes to him. This is what you see here. He took this big risk. I think we have a crisis in the Western church a crisis of spiritual helplessness. Well, God's just going to do what he's going to do, so I'm just going to sit around and wait. The problem with that thought is the Bible. Like every instance, God could have, we just got through Advent. He comes to Mary, you're going to carry the Christ child. He comes to Joseph, hey, you're going to father the Christ child. He comes to the shepherd, hey, I want you to go. God uses people to accomplish his greatest purposes, and he wants to use you. But we're just sitting back here thinking, you know what? Can't I just pray for more people to come to Christ? No, you got to share the gospel with them. Can I just pray for the end of racial strife? No, you got to be a reconciler. Well, I'm just going to pray about it. Listen, I am all for prayer. I want us to be a praying church. Jesus said that's what the church should be. My house will be called the house of prayer, Jesus said. But we've turned prayer into hopeful resignation. I can't do anything else, so I'm going to pray. And that is not what happened. That's not what Nehemiah showed us. I got a burden, so I labored in prayer until God gave me the green light and God provided everything I needed along the journey. Not before Nehemiah said yes. A lot of times, this is the thing we give to God. God, this will be the deal. If you put all the money in my bank account, then I'll write the check. Lord, if you'll just do all these things for me, then I'll step out. If you'll light the path until the end and I can see everything clearly and directly, well, that wouldn't be faith, friends. No, normally what he shows you is the next step. And Nehemiah took the next step before he knew that the king, I mean, the king could have just killed him when he asked. Don't try to outsource what God's trying to insource. Don't try to outsource. Meaning that someone else will take care of the burden. Someone else will take care of the homeless people. Someone else will take care of the uh, uh, teenage moms. Somebody, somebody else will take care of the racial problem. Somebody else will take care of these things. Don't try to outsource what God's trying to insource. God gave that burden for you. And if you'll take a step of faith, let me promise you, God, God's given that burden to other people. And you'll all take this step of faith together. And you'll come together to accomplish the very heart of Jesus here. We pray for God to save our kids, yes, but we also model a transformed life. We teach them the word of God. We show them 
what it's like to follow the voice of God. If God's placed a burden on your heart, friends, take a step. Get certified to be a foster parent. Email the adoption agency. Tell your coworker that you love Jesus. Start giving to the mission of God. Take the first step in reconciling the relationship that's been split. I know it's all their fault, but you're the reconciler. God's given you peace, and you're to extend that peace. Well, what if they never ask for forgiveness? Don't worry about them. You do what God's called you to do, and let God handle the rest of it. Do you see this, this bold step of faith? Hebrew says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Meaning that if you knew everything that would happen, it wouldn't be faith and you wouldn't please God with your obedience. This is why you can't see it clearly. This is why you see it in infancy form. I kind of see and I'm just going to take a step of faith. And this is certainly what Nehemiah did. He had this bold risk. What step is Jesus asking you to take today? I believe he's leading you to take a step. For some of you, it's to join in with this local body of believers. For others, it's to actually go to a community group. For some, it's to ask for prayer. I I think there's a lot of things. I think the Spirit's been leading you. What, What is it that you've refused to open your hand on? Man, I worked hard on this third point. Zealous builder. Because it's a, it's a weird term. I first thought I would do a bonded community, and it's that, or a beautiful family, and it's that, or bridge builders, and, and they're that. They're really wall builders. Zealous builder. There's this middle... In chapter 4 is this really cool scripture. And so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The NIV said for the people worked with all their heart. We're seeing it kind of an infancy stage. Kind of like you're seeing this building today. You're seeing this building because some of you have so faithfully worked and served for 13 years. And listen. I was not always the best leader to follow. Luckily, Jason's there with me. And you'd be like, well, Jason's there. They're going to make a good decision. I mean, we moved from Bossier to downtown into a closet, basically. I, I mean, I mean a closet. We could only fit 90 in the main room. We could fit about four kids. And, if we, and maybe an adult in these little, they were, they were like telephone booths and this is where we had child care and and yet you took every step and unloading downtown these cases in the middle of August and you just faithfully served these people had a mind to work these people served with all their heart now the difference is is that they built a wall but we're building a bridge it's not a trivial point. They, they were able to build the wall in 52 days, and it wasn't because of, because of Nehemiah's incredible leadership, but because of their willingness for nearly everyone to roll up their sleeves and get to work on the gate that was in front of their house. Nehemiah chapter 3 might be one of the most boring parts of the Bible. It's 32 verses listing 38 different groups or families that worked on rebuilding a 22-foot thick wall of Jerusalem. At first glance, you read this, it's a great cure for insomnia. But if you read it slowly, 
Look a little deeper. You see this incredible example of delegation, involvement, and teamwork. I just love it. I read it again this morning. I was like, man, I love these people. Nehemiah made a huge uh, difference because he got such a large number of people involved in the project. Now, there were three responses to this vision cast by Nehemiah. God gave Nehemiah the burden. He went, he prayed, he waited. He took this bold step of faith and asked God, God, you got to go with me. He made the incredible journey. He got there. He tried to rally the people. And there's three real responses. One, some of them, there's this group of three people that are just easy to hate in this passage. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Hope you didn't name your kids any of those names. Those are bad names. Some people, uh, their response, they didn't want to do part of it. They just criticized and complained and were negative the whole time. As a matter of fact, this Tobiah, man, just want to punch that dude in the throat. He just... He just, he's a snake in the grass and he just, he's, they're up there working and he's out there ridiculing them saying, listen, this is his, this is his ridicule. If a fox jumped on the wall, it would fall over. They're sitting there laboring and you just don't want those voices in your life. But yet, listen, anything you do for God, any step of faith that you take, anytime you try to live by faith, you're always going to be opposed to those that live by sight all the time. They're not going to understand it. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to confuse why you're doing it. They're going to push against you. That's one group of people. They just criticize and complain. They were just, you know, being negative. The second group in verse 5, chapter 3, next were the people from Tekoa whose leaders refused to help. Man, I could punch them in the throat too. I just, something about me, when everybody's working and you're just sitting there looking at how we should be doing it, just thank the Lord that I'm a Christian because if I wasn't, I would throw punch you right there. Just, just something that I know it's my flesh. I don't do it often. Y'all pray for me. I need, I need prayer. The third group of the people were the people who got involved. 38 groups of people involved in the project. But this is where I got this phrase, this zealous builder. It says in chapter uh, 3, verse 20, Baruch, the son of Zakai zealously repaired the other section. Not only did he get involved, but he did it with great zeal and eagerness and diligence and enthusiasm. I love this. Friends, what is it that you're doing because God put it in your heart? You're in this world to do something. God says you are. In Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That for good works is specific good works, specific good works for you to do, specific burdens for you to respond to with the step of faith, specific tasks to be accomplished as you rally other people around and you're an advocate for those who need an advocate. Somebody's just got to stand up and say, hey, we got we to fix this. This is, this is how God created it. Sin has ripped it apart. And we, with the peace of God, without fear of man, are going to step back into that and be peacemakers and reconcilers and do our best to put it back together. Does that make sense? And through our work, through God working through us, we begin to bring a little taste of heaven to earth. This is why Paul would say in Ephesians 3 that the church, the local church, the church that's actually hearing from God and responding to him should be the manifold wisdom of God to the watching world, meaning that heaven would look similar to a church who follows Jesus in his mission. 
and that you would follow Jesus in his mission to such a degree, this is, this is what one of the saints said, that I would be called up to heaven and it would be three days before I got there because I was working so diligent to bring heaven to earth. Isn't that amazing? This is what God's calling us to. God has a mission for you. He does. Generally, it's the great commission been given to all of us to go and make disciples. This is a commission given to every believer, not just the ones that went to seminary. Listen, this is not a game. We've not done all this because it's a game. We've done it because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that live around us, that live in the neighborhoods behind us here, that live even in our city, that are so lost and so far from God. And we're, if we're careful, if we're not careful, we just play in church. And God's not sent us here for that. He sent us to actually embody the gospel in these broken vessels that are, that are us, that God is renewing and restoring. Here's my question. God, what would you have me do? We did this. We asked this question every week through our Above and Beyond initiative, and I'm bringing it back. I want you to ask it today. God, what would you have me do? And then risk obeying him. As we've asked that question and above and beyond, some of you became foster parents. There's foster kids with us today that weren't here before because you prayed and God gave you a burden and you took a step of faith. And that's amazing. It's not the end of the hard journey. You've not seen full redemption yet, but, but you've taken the step of faith. Some of, as we went through this, decided to go plant a church. Some, you might be thinking, how do I use and leverage my talent for the kingdom of God? This is why I love this passage in chapter 6 that said that the, the world around them, all the people, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I love that. A.W. Tozer quote, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. This is the church, ordinary people doing extraordinary things that reflect the heart of Jesus. Are you listening? What's God put on your heart? What burden, what brokenness in our world is he calling you to step into this morning? It's clear that God sometimes puts into people's hearts this burning ambition, this dream, this holy discontent that serves as a guidance for something that he's leading us to do. Look at our friend Shane Booker that was on the screen a minute ago. Shane had this incredible story of God saved him and went to jail and God radically changed him and then he became a successful youth pastor I mean you ever seen him he looks like a youth pastor doesn't he? he's cool always got cooler shoes than me and cooler glasses than me I was like dude how do you afford that on a church planter's budget he must have bought that when he was still a youth pastor God birthed this thing in his heart to move to the hardest place in America and start a new church now, listen, I've worked with lots and lots and lots of churches. J.D. mentioned that in the last seven years since we've been serving together uh, with Excel, that we've planted over 400 churches. That's incredible. I have visited almost every one of those churches firsthand. I've seen them. I've walked with their pastor. I've prayed over their cities. I've never seen a harder place to plant a church than the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans, ever. God put that burden in his heart. A white, upper-middle-class guy from... Panama City, who would ever leave Panama City Beach to move to New Orleans? That burden must have been thick, man. He must have been. 
God gives him a heart. If you've seen him, you've heard him here, his heart just bleeds over everything. It makes you want to move to the lower ninth. Are you listening? Are you praying? Many of you felt the burden. You feel the burden. Are you praying? Let me encourage you to invite a few friends and friends together and praying with you. That doesn't mean you, you, you have to take the, the, the next step right now. That doesn't mean that they're going to know any better than you're going to know. But there's something powerful when groups come together. This is, I feel this burden in my heart. And you begin to pray. And God gives you his heart for that situation. Some of you are in the waiting season. You're waiting for the right moment. Nehemiah would wait 100 days praying and dreaming and fasting before taking this step. That's okay. David waited 15 years before he would become king. From anointed king to become king, 15 years. Joseph was in prison for 13 years. 13 years of just treading water, acting like, Lord, you gave me the vision. What in the world's going to happen before he became the regent of Egypt? On and on we could go. This is the space between, the promise and the fulfillment. Friends, be faithful in the space between. Keep praying, keep serving. Maybe today's the action step for you. This is Peter getting out of the boat. This is Jesus getting on the horse and riding to Jerusalem. Maybe today's the action day. You've been, you felt the burden, but you've never, you've never said yes. We're in a very unique situation here. An opportunity to actually build something tangible. That's why I love Nehemiah. To use as a platform to extend the mission of God. Now listen, it's going to take all of us. Praying and serving and giving. But can I be honest with you? I'd rather you respond to that burden God's placed on your heart than ever help me build anything. I'd rather you be faithful to the next step God's calling you to. I'd rather you begin to be generous and leverage your income for the thing that God's birthing in your heart. Now, we hope to be a rescue ship here. We've, we've got so many dreams. One time I told you that the backside of the space was going to be a lease space and we could have some extra income. But the more we kind of prayer walked that community behind us and the more I dreamed with some of you about what we could do to serve the broken and the hurting and to have counseling office and to have uh, toy stores where people could come and shop for, for free and, and bless their families. Or we could have men's discipleship groups as we could have some kind of celebrate recovery. The more we're like, we don't have space to make that a lease space. Because I think quicker than we think is going to happen as we put, we, we put the gospel outpost here. I think, and this is what I'm praying, Lord, bring us the broken. Bring us those that need, bring us the, the, those people that won't fit in the other church. Because we're going to love them and we're going to accept them. We're going to pour and it's going to be messy. Of course it's going to be messy. But you know, your life was pretty messy too. You know, someone else paved the way for you to hear the gospel. Someone else paid for the speakers and paid for the place for you to hear the voice of the pastor amplified to you. Someone else paid that. And you were the benefit of that. And now it's time for us to step up and, and provide the resources for rescue to extend to even more people. This is our prayer. And this is the prayer I'm asking you to take. I want us to pray real quick. I'm going to invite the band up. We're, going to, we're not having communion today. I'm going to leave you into a little exercise before we sing. But I just want you to get alone with the Father right now. And would you just pray this prayer? 
Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Just right where you're at, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. John 14 says it's the Holy Spirit that actually leads us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that actually amplifies the voice of Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, Paul calls him. The Holy Spirit's the one that's going to speak. He's going to whisper to you. If you'll be quiet just, just enough, and I'm going to be quiet here in a second. Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart? We're going to give you some time just right there to listen. Jesus, we need you. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you give us your heart? Would you give us the burden, Jesus, that you had when you looked over Jerusalem and were filled with compassion of those that had no hope? Lord, would this be a place that faith arises? Lord, we faintly hear those kids over there. What a joy to hear them. I pray for them. I pray they grew up in a home where they saw mommy and daddy take faith steps that did make a lot of sense to a lot of people. That they entered to some hard seasons of serving people with hard stories because you put the burden in their heart. And they would be convinced again that this is not a religion. This is not playing church. This is real. And the thousands and thousands of people counting on us to get this right. So Jesus, give us the faith that we need to take a step of faith this morning. To hear your voice and respond to you. So in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. We're gonna close a little different today. We'll have the prayer team out somewhere. Where are the prayer team going? They're gonna be somewhere. Anyone standing is part of a prayer team. So if you're standing and someone comes to pray with you, call down heaven, man. You're equipped, you can do it. We'll have some guys in the back and maybe over the side. I want you to write down to actually put words as best you can it could be real fuzzy to you. What's God put on your heart? What's he asking you to take a step of? To trust him more? To give something up? To embrace this new way? To listen for his voice? Have family worship maybe for the first time in a long time? To pray with your spouse? What's, what's the step? He's just, you kind of hear him. You just, it just keeps coming. What's the step? We want to we wanna pray with you over that step. I'd ask you to put that on a card. Just write that down if you feel the freedom. And this is private. No one else is going to see this. Just a few of our pastors and prayer team that are going to pray with you on this issue. Then secondly, all of you got a little card, a little index card. And uh, if you didn't get one of those, I think Heather said they had some more. She'll be around here somewhere with some cards. Um, this is just a prayer blessing. Yeah, you just kind of wave. She's in the back there. 
what I want to do with these is I want you to write a prayer of blessing over this space. And we're going to take these little cards and we're going to put them in one of the walls so that in 100 years when we're not here anymore, someone's going to remodel this place and they're going to see your prayers all over the place. You know, Scripture says that unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in vain. And I think you know my heart. This is not about Covenant Church. This is not about who we are. This is all about Jesus, his name, and his renown. And I just want you to write, maybe you could write your favorite verse if you wanted to. Maybe you could write a prayer that for the community behind us. Maybe it's a little prayer for the, you've got kids over there, and, and, and you want to see them grow in their faith in this, in this facility. You want to... You want to see them learn to hear the voice of God. Maybe, maybe they have a call to missions in their life like sweet Caroline did. And she came up here and we prayed over her and sent her to wherever God has her or called a ministry like some, like Connor and others. Maybe you just write a prayer for your kids, whatever you want. It's up to you. We're not going to read them. We're going to take them, compile them before we're done. We're going to stick them in a wall. So the band's going to play. When you're done writing your prayer, you can join us in worship. Um, and then I'll come up and give us our final step on the groundbreaking.